Welcome to a special Point Five episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. Now, as I mentioned, today is a special Point Five episode. These will be the episodes where we cover the new Marvel Digest currently on the stands, or in this case, on the stands over the last few months, because we are way behind, <laughs> folks. <laughs> We're going to cover three of these digests today, going all the way back to what, like November or something like that when yeah, they came the, out? Yeah, the last time we did one of these shows was November. I po- oh. We apologize, everybody. Yes. Life just got in the way, folks. And quite honestly, it took me so long to find the Thor Digest. Oh, my, You know, I had to order this stupid thing off eBay. I could not find it in any stores, anywhere. I ordered on eBay. It came in, and then like a week later, they were everywhere. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be covering the Thor Digest, the X-Men Digest, and the Avengers featuring Black Panther Digest that, are current, that just came out recently. Uh, very excited that Marvel's producing these things. It's still disappointed that DC's not. But, well, you know, that's disappointing. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, and also, I think that there's a, yet another Marvel Digest out, like, today, the day we're recording this, which is the Thanos one. But, and I we, thought we caught up by now. Well, we, joked, we joked about waiting another week to do it, and then I'm like, that's how we got in this pickle in the first place. Just keep putting it <laughs> off. So we're like, sorry, everybody. So we'll, we will get to the Thanos one and then the Ant-Man one, which is the one after that. Uh, we'll get that to another show. We, re- we wanted to finally get this done. So this, that's the reason we're covering these three. At the- Hats off to Marvel, though, for timing these things so well. I mean, the Avengers one comes out a week before... Or the week, uh, yeah, a week before the Infinity War movie, well planned. You know, again, you said Avengers featuring Thanos. The uh, Ant Man and Wasp comes out right around the same time as the Ant Man and Wasp movie. Very, very clever. So well done, right? Again, folks, my, my pitch is go to your local grocery stores, liquor stores, porn shops, dog tracks, whatever it takes. Buy it there in those unusual distributing places. Don't be like Rob and go be lazy and buy it at a bookstore. That's not helping anybody. Get it in the the real, true newsstand distribution method. You've sold me. I'll go to a porn shop and buy them there. Perfect. Excellent. Glad I could do my part. <laughs> well, on that note, let's get rack. <laughs> Let's thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Digest Cast is sponsored not by porn, but in fact by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best – they're going to love that. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions. All for – up for four to that. All – it's easy for me to say, especially when it's written out and everything, folks. All for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Cherry Pop Tart. <laughs> no, yeah, no, of course not. No, <laughs> you said there's no point. No, uh, tied into uh, one of the collections, I have the Black Panther Epic Collection, Panthers Rage, written by Don McGregor, Stan Lee, drawn by various. There's a, it's a great cover by Gil Kane. It reprints uh, Fantastic Four numbers 52 and 53, which are of course Black Panther's first appearance. Jungle Action numbers 6 through 24, which is a, that's, a, that's a lot, yeah. And it's got a great cover of Black Panther beating the crap out of like some sort of like Yeti or Sasquatch cut type thing, and there's a bunch of skulls in the foreground. It's great. Uh, it mentions a Rick, late great Rich Buckler, and uh, Billy Graham as the artists. The normal price is $34.99. In stock, trades price is $20.29. So that's 42% off 400 pages of uh, Black Panther stuff. Of course, I imagine this is this stuff is like probably flying off the shelves now because Black Panther, the movie, is the third biggest grossing movie of all time, which is just what? Uh, yes, yeah, it passed. Uh, <laughs> it just it just passed Titanic as the <gasps> third highest grossing film of all time. So. Uh, it's and we'll we'll talk about Black Panther a little more when we get to the digest. So I suggest that this mammoth edition, Black Panther Epic Collection, Volume One. 
and I got to say, I got to endorse these epic collections. Uh, I, I don't have the Black Panther one. I, I recently just finished reading the X-Men one, which covered all the, uh, the, the first – I don't know, like 400 pages as well of the Uncanny X-Men. So it started with Giant Size X-Men number one, then went to X-Men 94 and all that. So it had a bunch of crossovers and team-ups and oh my gosh, those epic collections are gorgeous. They're wonderful. So worth the price. Well, I went uh, in the Digest themed. I picked out Marvel Universe Ant-Man Digest. Now this is, it's not like the Digest that we're talking about. These are more like small trade paperbacks. And uh, this one is 88 pages and uh, it collects several stories from the all ages lines from a couple of years ago, the Marvel Adventures line, the um, Marvel Universe lines that's sort of in the style of the cartoons. So you get, um, gosh, one, two, three, four, four different uh, Avengers comics, all featuring Ant-Man. Uh, again, 88 pages, full color. Lots of fun. It's got Psycho Man. You know, it's got Ant-Man doing goofy stuff with the ants. It's got Sandman, Iron Fist, Power Man, all this kind of stuff. So you know it's going to be fun. I'm a huge proponent of these all ages books. So check it out. It's only um, normal retails for $9.99. You can get it 42% off, so only $5.79. Heck of a deal. You know, if you're trying to, if you pick up this epic collection and you need to just go a little bit further to, to get a free shipping, grab this and another thing, and boom, you're there. So that's the way to do it. So, folks, for these and all your other trade paperwork needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right, let's jump into this. So we have, since we have three freaking digests to cover, and by the way, each one of these digests are two. 124 pages. You know, I didn't think about that till I sat down to read one. This is like a really huge trade paperback is what this is, you know? Because um, I thought like, oh, I'll just get, you know, I'll read these in time for the podcast and realized, no, this is going to take a long time to get ready for. <laughs> so 224 pages, full color. They retail for $6.99. So first up, Marvel Comics Digest number three, which is about Thor, which came out in December, I'm sorry, which came out in October, perfectly timed when they had to have it come out around the time of Thor Ragnarok. Well done, Marvel. And I'm going to do a super fast recap of the issues inside, just so you get an idea of the flavor in this thing. So you get four issues of Thor from 1968. So issues 154 to 157. It's a four-issue arc uh, where Thor battles Mangog. And Mangog threatens uh, the coming of Ragnarok, done by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Then you get Thor Annual number 6 from 1977, where Thor battles in the 30th century with the original Guardians of the Galaxy, by Len Wein, Roger Stern, Sal Buscema, and Klaus Janssen. Then we get into these all ages books, which are absolutely my passion that I love. Marvel Age Spider-Man Team-Up from 2004, number four. It's got Thor and Spider-Man are battling this time-displaced villain in New York and in Asgard. It's by Tony DeZago and Ron Lim, but it turns out it's actually an adaptation of an old Marvel team-up issue from 1973 by Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew. So, that's super fun. Uh, another all-ages book, Marvel Adventure Superheroes number 6 from 2010. And this one, Thor... <laughs> this one cracks me up. Thor tells a bunch of stories about his battles with the Executioner. Well, while he's telling these grandiose stories, all the women are swooning over him, and Nova, his... Uh, Avengers teammate there is totally jealous. Uh, it's by Paul Tobin and Ronan Click uh, Clique. I don't really know how to say that. Another all ages book, Marvel Adventure Superheroes number 19. Odin decides to give Loki Thor's hammer to see if Loki can be a hero by Joe Carmanga and Kevin Sharp. Then you get into uh, another all-ages book, which this one is done in the animated style. Uh, it's Marvel Universe Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, number nine from 2012. There, Thor and Captain Marvel battle a scroll superweapon by Louise Simonson, Wazy, and Ramon Bacchus. And then uh, finally, you get another all-ages book, but these are the ones which they are kind of like photo novels. They're screen caps from the cartoons. 
we're not big fans of these folks. Anyway, um, Marvel's Universe Avengers Assemble, number four from 2013. Dr. Doom gets a hold of an Asgardian weapon and is down to Thor in the Avengers to stop him. Then littered throughout, you get some pinups uh, of Thor by Jack Kirby, Walt Simonson, John Romita, and some other folks. John Romita Jr., by the way, I should say. What'd you think of this one, buddy? Uh, well, my, my one complaint I have across all three of these books, I'll just get it out of the way now, and this is just my old foginess uh, come into play, as, as, as it does in every episode of every podcast we record, is I wish... <laughs> get off like, your lawn? Yeah, exactly. I wish the balance of material was like a little more weighted towards the 60s, 70s, and 80s stuff, partly because mm-hmm. that's my era, the stuff I want to read, and also I just think that that stuff works better as a digest. I think all the later stuff where it's like overcolored and everything has like 40 gajillion tones, I don't think that works as well in a digest format. I just think it's like they're just literally harder to read. Um, so, so that that so just getting that out of the way, like that's going to be the same complaint across all three books. I really love the uh, Weiner. I, I'm going to disagree with you real quick on that. Okay. Um, as that may come as a shock. <laughs> um, I I like the later stuff, like uh, I, as all, those all ages books that I mentioned. I think those are actually perfect to go in here for a kid who picks this up in the grocery store who's never read Thor comics before. They're all very approachable. They're not heavy in continuity. I think they're perfect. Um, I I don't like the ones where they adapt the cartoons. I think those are garbage. I think you're right. The coloring on those are it's so every single one of those is so dark you can't even make out what's going on. They're almost not even worth reading. But the stuff before that, though, again, the Marvel Adventures line, uh, the Marvel Universe Adventures, uh, Avengers one, which was, again, drawn in the animated style but wasn't screen caps, all those were great. I loved it. But you know, it does seem to be the formula. You get something from the 60s, you might get one thing from the late 70s or 80s, and then you get a bunch of stuff from the recent years. Um, you're right. There's a whole bunch of years in there they skip. I mean, what about the 90s? What about the 2000s that are just completely ignored? Right. Uh, so that that would be my only issue is that you it jumps from one to the other. Maybe they figure that the '90s and 2000s are too heavy with continuity, and that they're they're better off doing the '60s stuff, which is more approachable. The '70s stuff, which might be a little more approachable than the all ages. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, but I th- I think the coloring in a lot of them are actually okay. I think you're being too hard on them. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I I love the, the intro stories, the Mangog thing. Uh, first of all, I love the Mangog design. Like the, to me, that is one of Jack Kirby's great. Uh, monster designs. And that's saying something, because the man designed like 40 gajillion monsters while he was doing comic books. <laughs> but I just love that creature. And I love that we like the full page splash of him where he's yelling his name, Mangog! Like, that's a really fun story. I mean, I think I've said this in the other .5 episodes. Jack Kirby's work, to me, is perfect for a digest. It's it's thick, it's easy to read, it, it reduces down really well, it's still very clear. So, I mean, obviously it works out because the, the story features Ragnarok, you know, heavily, features, mm-hmm. features Hela. So, I mean, it has all a lot of the similar elements um, that we saw in the movie. The, uh, the uh, story featuring Guardians of the Galaxy gets another little great little tie-in, and then the one with Spider-Man. I'm surprised there's no Thor Hulk story, considering how big the mm. Hulk is in for Ragnarok. Um, I'm kind of surprised at that. And I, my one other complaint is I think the cover for this digest is it's nicely drawn. Uh, by by Copiel, but like it's just him just standing there. Like it's kind of boring compared to the other two covers uh, that we're going to talk about. This is like a very I'm like it's just 
Thor just standing there. Like, have him doing something cool. I'm surprised it's such a passive cover. It is a little bit of a dull cover. However, I'll take this cover over the X-Men, and we'll talk about that when <gasps> we get to the X- Well, hold on. When there we get is. to the X-Men issue. I have a very solid reason why. But um, And this is an original drawing, as far as I know, for this cover, which makes it, which I think is kind of nice. Um, the, the Thor story, the four-issue epic of Thor. All right, a couple things. One is uh, I've realized some various things in reading these digests. You know, I've read six of these things now. First off is that, you ready? Everyone brace yourself. This is sacrilegious. But for the most part, the early Stan Lee and Jack, Stur- uh, Jack Kirby stories, I'm now finding out they kind of bore me. Wow. I know. Talk about the hate mail. And Nicholas Prom's never going to speak to me again. Um, I, the Silver Age stuff doesn't grab – like the early Silver Age stuff doesn't grab me as much. Now, you jump forward to a little bit later in Silver Age. You know, 19, 1963 versus 1968, there's a lot of differences in the way Jack and, and Stan were telling stories. In fact, here, here's where I contradict myself. This Thor story, this four-issue Thor story, I freaking loved it. And the crazy thing is I hate Thor. Thor bores the crap out of me. As a character, it's like I'm reading an Avengers comic like, oh, this is fun. Oh, Thor showed up. Uh-oh. This is going to get boring. Thor does nothing. The only time I've ever been able to reach Thor, and I've tried, and it held my interest with Simonson's run and then um, Warren Ellis's run, which most people hate. But those are the only two runs of Thor that I've ever been able to read and hold my attention. So I was dreading reading these, these four-issue part with Mangog. But it was a freaking blast. I loved it. I thought the colors were just explosive. The action, it was just such huge, crazy ideas that I loved that Thor story. So I won't be able to say the same when we get to the, the other digests. So that's why I led with the whole Silver Age kind of bores me thing. Does, but, your, does ma- your feeling about Thor extend to the movies? And the character, like, do you, no. like, is he your least favorite character in the movies? Mm, he's probably not my... Least favorite is probably not the, a fair way to say. If I, I would probably pick everyone before him. <laughs> okay, but I don't. Right. I don't actively dislike him. I think he's hysterical in the films. I love Chris Helmsworth. I really okay. do. I think he's All fun. Right. But it's not like I'm like eh, Thor. It's just in the comic book. I've always been bored by him. Um, and maybe the difference here is 1963 versus 1968. This is five years later. Their storytelling's really come a long way with superheroes at this point. So maybe that's the difference because this Thor story was from 68. So I don't know. Um, the let's see the other ones that I loved. I love the I, annual. I, I thought that was really a lot of fun, too. See, that one didn't do a lot for me. I mean, nothing bad. I liked it from a bronze Marvel. I love Marvel Bronze Age, and that's that was really a good classic Marvel Bronze Age story, so it was fine. But really, my, I loved the, the stuff you probably don't like. I like the Marvel, the all-ages stuff, like Spider-Man and Thor battling that time place time displaced villain was super fun. I loved the one that was done in the animated style with Thor and Captain Marvel. That's battling really super- good. That one's really fun. I did was, like that one a lot. It? Yeah, that's yeah. that's that. I agree that and the style that's a perfect digest style because it's a, again crisp and clean and it's not over colored. So I, I would love to see more of that. Yeah, the best analogy I can make for that is remember the Batman Adventures cartoon. Yes. Or, I mean, um, comic book. Yeah, the comic book was yeah, so done not. in the style of the that. That's kind of what this looks like, even though it's it's the Marvel version of that. You know, it doesn't look like the Timverse. It looks like their stuff. Um, so those are the ones I enjoyed. So um, hated, hated, hated the photo novel one. Just oh, I can't stand those things. Can't yeah, stand. I find them. I find them just kind of like eyesores. Uh, I like the pinups. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Walt Simonson only gets a pinup. Like they didn't reprint right like a one story but although he did such continued stories maybe they didn't want to get involved because like you could reprint the first one the first one he did thor 337 but that ends on a cliffhanger and maybe they didn't want to do that they want to maybe contain have some contained stories oh boy but still i mean walt simon said yeah, like obviously one of the great thor runs of all time I'm not saying anything uh 
surprising anybody. Right. Well, well, but you know, they did four issue arc here with Jack and Stan. They could have done a two issue arc with you know Maybe. with yeah. Simonson or something. And, and and I said this on a previous episode, so forgive the joke again. But you know, the irony is Walt doesn't have a story in here, but Louise does. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, well let's um okay. let's move on to uh, the X Men Digest. All right, yeah, it's Marvel Comics Digest number four, the X Men, covered by Gil Kane and Dave Cockrum, and it's the cover from Giant Size X Men number one, uh, which is not in this issue. Uh, That's <laughs> why I said I'd rather have the Thor cover because this X Men comic book is not in here, and for the most part, the Uncanny X Men aren't in here either, other than right. one issue. Right. I will say though, and we were just having this conversation on Twitter, me and uh, Michael Lane, that I'm a sucker for. Uh, characters popping out of a cover on the cover. I love that style. So th- I do. I I understand what you're saying, but I love this cover anyway because it's got all the X Men, you know, the classic X Men, and then the new X Men. Although of course now they're the classic X Men. I'm so old that they're. The- I'll I'll just go read my uh, my X Men uh, uh, the epic collection I was just talking about. So if I want to see if I want to see this cover. <laughs> okay. The stories uh, they went on sale December 13th. The stories contained are X Men numbers four and five from 1963, the original X Men versus Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants by Lee and Kirby, of course. X Men number nine, the original X Men versus the Avengers. Well, Professor X battles Lucifer by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs> X Men First Class numbers one and two from 2006, the early years of the original X Men as they battle an alien-like plant. And Spider-Man's Foe, The Lizard, by Jeff Parker and Roger Cruz. Marvel Girl, One Shot, story of Jean Grey coping with the death of her childhood friend, by Joshua Hale Falkov, sorry, and Nuno Plati. Uncanny X-Men, number 153, uh, from 1982. Kitty's Fairy Tale, by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. Wolverine, First Class, number one, from 2008. Wolverine teaches teaches Kitty Pride, or is it the other way around, by Fred Van Lente and Andrea DeVito. Marvel Adventures Spider-Man, number 59, from 2010. Spider-Man's girlfriend is a mutant, and in case of mistaken identity, leads to a conflict with the X-Men by Paul Tobin and Ben Dewey, plus pinups of the original X-Men by Jack Kirby. So you said this is your least favorite one of the three? Yeah, it's my least favorite of the Digest. Even and the funny thing is, I'm an X-Men guy. Like, I... X-Men were really my gateway into becoming a big-time collector. I started with Secret Wars, which, and then Secret Wars 2, which led me to X-Men. And I collected X-Men, every single book from the X-Men, from 1988 or something like that, all the way till I don't know, 10, 15 years. So, and even since then, I still drop in. I just freaking read the Omnibus the other day. I mean, I love the X-Men. However, uh, these early stories from 1963 and 1965, issues 4, 5, and 9 – Dude, they were a freaking chore for me. I could not. I tried to read them. I fell asleep over and over and over. And in fact, I reached out to Rob and said, "Do I have to read them all?" I mean, it was that tough to me. It was, uh, but I powered my way through them and read them. But they just—they hold no interest for me now. The minute I get to X Men First Class, boom! Jeff Parker brings it, man. In fact, those are my favorite issues in here. Are the X Men First Class issues one and two? I absolutely love those. I thought they were fantastic. What, what did you think of it? What, what about you? Um, hmm. I well, I really like the Lee Kirby stuff. The one where the X Men face off against the Avengers. I just, I love that one so. Much. And the cover is great. They feature the cover, and I just, I love. It. It's like a we see uh, two different fights above ground and below ground, and there's like a cutaway. I just love that cover, man. Look at that all day. I liked that they included um, one issue from the sort of Cockrum era. Mm-hmm. One fifty three seems like a weird choice because it's a it's a one shot, which is I guess why they picked it. But it's a fantasy issue, and it features Kitty Pride so heavily, who's really not been in any of these movies pretty much. So that would seems 
strange to me. Um, and that one story is like mostly a Spider-Man story as opposed to an right. X-Men story. So that, that seems kind of strange. Um, so kind of odd. One other detail I will mention, and you mentioned the um, X-Men First Class, and this is, I don't know, take this for what it's worth. But the, the scenes of um, Scott Summers and Jean Grey on the beach, and they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're like, she's in a bikini and he's in his outfit. Like, she's in a bikini. Now, of course, they're the X-Men. They're superheroes. They look like Olympians. But I like the, that Roger Cruz, who drew the X-Men First Class story, when he drew Jean Grey in a bikini, she actually has like a small chest. Which right. I appreciate it because most comic book artists, if they have the chance, are going to draw women's boobs like Power Girl. Like all all women in comics have Power Girl chests, and I like the fact that he actually made her like relatively sort of like flat chested, which like you know. Well, I think they're supposed to be like sixteen years old at this point. Too. Right, right. I'm sure I wouldn't have mattered though if you'd given it yeah. to a lot of other artists. They'd be like, who cares, you know? So right. I sort of just I just noticed that because it's it's still unusual to see mm-hmm. that in the thing. Um, I, I, this one leans more heavily on the later stories and I just haven't read any of this stuff. I, I liked X-Men a lot when I was a kid and then at some point I just lost the plot and I literally never went back to it. I don't think I've ever read a single X-Men comic in probably 20 years. So I'm totally, uh, out of touch. I would have loved to have seen something from the Paul Smith era when he drew the book because his, mm-hmm. his work was so beautiful and I imagine it looked even great in digest size because it's so clean but all but otherwise i still think this is a, a good collection I, I mean it leans heavily on certain characters of course when you have so many of them but i i don't know again i think it's a solid book you know the interesting thing is i mean the cover is the new x-men you know wolverine storm cyclops etc but really this digest if anything if you had to boil it down this is a gene gray and kitty pride digest yeah. is what this really yep. feels like which is weird and, and when I, and most of it really is Leaning heavier more on Jean Grey. I mean, it's mostly the original X Men. I can't figure out the the reason for this digest. Like, I, I don't know why Marvel timed it this way. I don't know why they lean so heavily into the original X Men versus the ones everyone you know probably knows better. You know, from the movies and the cartoons and stuff. So I thought that was very odd. Um, the next X Men movie is going to be real Jean Grey heavy too. You would think they would maybe save that one for that when that comes oh, out. Oh, maybe maybe that's maybe that was the flaw. I guess they did. The more recent X Men movies, I guess, did focus on the earlier class, didn't they? They did, but, yeah, because uh, all the young yeah. X Men. But the, the next one is like literally the Dark Phoenix story. So, oh, okay. you would All think right. that they would do a Gene Gray digest for that. And I'm sure yeah. they will do one when it comes out next year, I guess. Well, you talk about reading X Men stuff. You know, I have Marvel Unlimited, so I drop in and on the X Men a lot. I'll be like, just randomly, like, oh, what's this storyline from X Men from four years ago? Oh my gosh, this was fun. You know, 10 issues later, I'm like, that was fun. So, I re- do read a lot of X Men comics here and there just for fun. And um, this X Men First Class, though, I mean, I loved it so much. I'm going to go read the miniseries on Marvel Unlimited after this. I, I loved it. And Jeff Parker. I mean, I'll, I'll do anything that Jeff Parker writes. So, I, I, I really dug it. And the, of course, the All Ages stuff appealed. To me. The Wolverine First Class, which was all ages, was pretty funny with Wolverine and Kitty. Now you said you haven't read X Men in you know in twenty or thirty years. Truthfully, all of this stuff would have been geared towards you then anyway, because there's nothing. Even though you hadn't read these more recent stories, they're all hitting the nostalgia buttons. You know, there's nothing yeah, in here with the more recent. There's no right. new X Men characters in here. I mean, you knew who every character was probably. So right, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one time I looked at like an Ecstatics book or something, and I was like, yeah. I like Mike Allred, and I was like, I have no idea what's going. Like, I literally don't understand what's happening. <laughs> who any of these people are? What their relationship? I just like, okay, I'm, I, I'm done with this because I'm completely lost. I don't think anyone understood that. Don't that book okay. either. It's Mike Allred being crazy. Now, interesting. The the Kitty's Fairy Tale book is. I mean, that was beloved back in the day. Yes. Every Everyone thought that was the most adorable story, and I think someone stuck that in here because they thought it would be a good kid story. It's really not, though, because it's so heavy on – like if you don't know the in-jokes of what's going on in continuity at that point, 
you don't really get why that story is interesting. It's all about redeeming Jean Grey after she died. You know, it's really what the story is about. But that's not what's in the book. So I think you miss a lot of the point of it. And you mentioned it's Dave Cockermara. It's actually not the Dave Cockermara. Dave Cockermara came back. Um, this is after the – you know, John Byrne was – either well, done by yeah, this point right, or was right. wrapping up. This may have even been during the Paul Smith era, actually. I'm not sure. But uh, Dave did want, you know, Cockerham came back for an issue, which is a fun issue for us who knows the continuity, but otherwise. Now, the thing I did love about this digest, no animated cartoon crap. Um, <laughs> you know, or screen grabs, I should say. No, no photo novel. So I was happy about that. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on then. Final digest we're going to cover. This is the one that came out in um, February, which is Marvel Comics Digest number five, Avengers featuring... Black Panther, well-timed for the Black Panther movie. Um, so that was very exciting. So, uh, again, 224 pages. So we're going to go through this. Avengers from 1963, number three and four. The Avengers battle Namor and the Hulk and are joined by Captain America in his first Silver Age appearance by uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs> the hate wow, mail. listen the hate to you. Coming. I can't believe you just put a sigh in front of Stan yep. Lee and Jack Kirby. I can't believe I did either. You know, I, I have discovered my sweet spot is the late Silver Age. and the If you're reading old stuff, late Silver Age and all through the Bronze Age. That, I think that's my sweet spot for Marvel. So your, your, sweet, your, sweet spot, your sweet spot is bashing on two legendary creators who gave us so much. I understand. We no, 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 no. I don't read. I, I totally appreciate what they gave us. But it just doesn't hold my interest. So I don't know. Now, if I read some, I bet, I bet if I read some Avengers comics from 1968, such as Avengers from 1968 issues 57 and 58, which did include Black Panther, by the way. He was not in the original story, but he's in this one. Uh, introduces Vision as the Avengers battle Eltron. Then Vision's origin is revealed, and he's inducted into the Avengers. And we learn that an android can cry by Roy Thomas and John Bushima. Freaking love that story. And that's only five years later. So I think 1968 is where I start to love Marvel. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, Avengers number uh, 126 from 1974, which also included Black Panther, which was the Avengers versus Claw and Solar. Lots of R's in that name. By Steve Englehart and Bob Brown. Then we get into this all-ages stuff that I love. Marvel the uh, Marvel Adventures The Avengers from number one from 2006, uh, which this is the weird Avengers team. We've talked about them previously. That had you know your Captain America, your Iron Man, Thor, but it also had Wolverine, Storm, Spider-Man, and Giant Girl, which which this is about the same time the new Avengers were starting, so Wolverine and Spider-Man were on that team. Anyway, in this issue, the government fires the Avengers and replaces them with Ultron robots. Again, all ages, written by Jeff Parker, woohoo, and Manuel Garcia. Marvel Adventures, The Avengers, two, number three from 2006. Uh, again, another all ages. Captain America's foe from World War II returns. It's the new Baron Zemo versus The Avengers by Jeff Parker and Manuel Garcia. Then we jump forward into uh, more of those comics that were um, drawn in the animated style. So, Marvel Universe Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, from 2012, issue number one, which includes Black Panther. Includes Black Panther. Uh, Avengers Battle, Fing Fang Foom, and the Mandarin, by Christopher Yost and Christopher Jones. Then, the same series in issue number three, which also includes Black Panther. Again, all ages, done in the animated style. It's a humorous time travel hopping story with Hawkeye and Black Panther versus Kang and his girlfriend, Ravona, by Christopher Yost and Roman uh Roman box. Then we get uh, jump even further into issue number five of that series from 2012, and it's the Avengers versus the Serpent Society for control of the Serpent Crown by Chris Trios and Ro Ramon Bacchus. And all those are kind of like short stories. They're all they're not very long. Then we get. Uh, ugh, the dreaded photo novel. Uh, Marvel Universe of Avengers Assemble, number three from 2013, uh, where it's, again, taking stills from the cartoon. The rookie member, Falcon, must battle alone against doppelgangers of the Avengers to save the real team. And th uh, there's also a cool Black Panther pinup by Gabrielle Del Otto, I think is how you say it. So what do you think of this digest? 
not enough Black Panther. I uh, would agree. Um, not a single Black uh, Panther solo story. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, when Marvel was putting this together, they were hedging their bets by calling it a an Avengers featuring Black Panther digest because they didn't know how well Black Panther was going to do. They had no idea. No one had any idea that, Nobody as I said, did. Black Panther would become the third biggest grossing movie of all time, the biggest superhero movie of all time. Nobody had any idea. So... That said, uh, you know, you got to realize they were trying to kind of hedge their bets a little. It feels weird that they picked two issues from the Avengers that are all about the Vision, not Black Panther. I mean, the, the even an android can cry is like one of the great Vision stories, and Black Panther's in it, but he's hardly central to it. Exactly. I wish that they had reprinted his first appearance from Fantastic Four. I know that would have bored you because you hate Lee and Kirby. We know that. But no, I, mean, I don't. Um, what year is that from? <laughs> It's from like '66, so that's well, a little see, bit later. Closer period. to my yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I also understand though that they probably could not have reprinted a lot of classic, classic uh, Black Panther stuff because, first of all, his recent stuff um, by uh, Christopher Priest, I believe, or Ta-Nehisi Coates, like that stuff is for adults. It's not you know kid friendly, and they couldn't put it in a digest. And they probably really didn't want to do the whole story where Black Panther takes on the Klan. Uh, which Ryan Daly covered. <laughs> Ryan Daly covered on on the on his show, uh, talking about on FW Presents, talking about it with Frank because they, you know, because of that, the subject matter right there. A little, little there. sensitive, yeah. A little, little sensitive. They can't put that in a kid's digest. But there were other stories that they, they could have done. I think this is actually a really fun collection. I love mid, early, uh, mid to late '60s Avengers comics. So I think there's a lot of good stuff here. But it's just it's just not enough Black Panther. And now we know. Black Panther is, like, mega huge. So when they eventually do Black Panther 2, I would assume that when Marvel puts out another digest, they'll just do a Black Panther digest because they know they don't have to hedge their bets anymore. Oh, absolutely. Now, the, you know, the funny thing is there's ads in here for the Black Panther epic collection, right? Right. And then there's also ads in here for Black something called Black Panther Adventures, and it says right in here, great for young readers. You know, couldn't they have taken just one story from there? It just – it seems like that would have made more sense. Yeah. I got it. I think they were afraid. They didn't think that Black Panther was that going to be that big of a draw. Well, and, no one, no one thought that. And and, but, yeah. and and as we know, the movies don't necessarily translate to increase sales for the comics. So maybe the Black Panther comics don't sell any better because of the movie. You think they would, but I have no idea. So, but uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen just a couple of Black Panther solo stories, or like maybe like um like a Marvel team up. Or a Marvel two oh, one, where it's like yeah. him and one other like he at least well, him, he's, Spider Man would have been a great idea. Yeah, exactly. It just like there's just a lot of him being as part of the Avengers, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Still, it's great material though. I mean, it's John Buscema and stuff, and it's, it's beautiful. You know, I did enjoy um, not as much. Okay, again, everyone send all your hate mail, whatever. Uh, Avengers three and four, you know, the, the the Namor and Hulk battle, and the one where Captain America joins. Didn't necessarily enjoy the experience of reading them, um, but it was interesting to read Captain America's first time with the Avengers. I don't think I've ever read it before. Like, I'm going through it going, I know this story backwards and forwards, everyone does, but I don't know that I've ever actually read it. So that was, you know, it was an interesting experience. Absolutely freaking loved issues 57 and 58, the Vision ones. Oh my gosh. They were so freaking good. Loved that. Then uh, jumping forward, you know, again, I, I love these all ages books. The ones by Jeff Parker. Uh, which is the kind of the funky Avengers team that's got Wolverine, Storm, Spider-Man, and um, Giant Girl. The thing I love about these Marvel Avengers books, guys, is that they were designed as all ages. They weren't designed as kids' books. So they never talked down to the kid. 
It still has lots of drama. It still has lots of fun. It doesn't have a bunch of stupid jokes in it. There may be a humorous bit to it, but it's not written down to a kid. And, and I can vouch for this because my stepson, when he was much younger, when these things were coming out in 2006, I would get the digest from the library um, and let him read them, and he, or the comics themselves. And he loved them. He used to read the Spider I had, I, I was getting the Spider-Man book for him for months because he enjoyed reading those. The Avengers ones he would get. And again, it was it was because he didn't feel like you know he felt like reading real comics, not comics for kids. Because a lot of times kids can see it; they go like, "Oh, this comic is for kids. I don't want to read this. I want to read the legit ones." You know, so uh, they're, they're the appeal. So, and then the the little shorter ones that were done in the animated style, those were kind of fun. I thought the the time travel hopping one was actually with Hawkeye and Black Panther was actually pretty funny. Mm. I thought that was well done. Um, so yeah, I, I think the highlight though is definitely Avengers fifty seven and fifty eight. That was just wow, slam out of the park. So isn't good. it amazing to think? As far as I understand, John Buscema did not like drawing superheroes, and yet that's how good he was. Like, because yeah. I would imagine drawing like he he was much more like give me Conan, you know, to draw or Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Superheroes didn't do anything for him, but yet his work was that good. Like that's how that's how good he was. That that him being relatively disinterested in what he was drawing and it still produced that level of work. <laughs> so good, so good. Um, now, the cover, we didn't talk about the cover. It's a painted cover, and it is clearly targeted at the movie fans. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, this is the movie team. You know, that's, uh, there's nothing in here that even suggests comic book characters at all. It's all in the yeah. movie. Yep. But that's fine. It's a beautiful drawing, beautiful painting. Uh, I've never seen it before, so I'm, I'm guessing it's for the Digest. I don't know. It could be repurposed. But uh, it's nice. I couldn't find who did it. I couldn't find any information on that. I'm betting it's appeared on many pieces of merchandise. <laughs> that's probably true. That's probably true. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for these digests. Be sure to head out to your local 7-Eleven or your, uh, you know, your grocery store or, as Rob's apparently going to go to the porn shops. Oh, my God. You're so horrible, Rob. To pick up Marvel Comics Digest number six, Avengers featuring Thanos, on sale by the time you hear this. It might take a little while to get to the grocery store. Sometimes it takes a week or two. But definitely pick that up. And then in June, we'll be watching for Avengers featuring Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we are going to do your feedback from the last time we did Digest Cast, back in the Dark Ages, before there was electricity, where we talked about the Justice League of America Digest that featured uh, all the initiations. We'll be right back after these messages. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold. You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents. Of course. Supervillain Team-Up. Good idea. Youngblood X-Force. Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Adventures into the Unknown. Tales from the Crypt. Skeleton Hand. The Haunt of Fear. The Vault of Horror. Adventures into Terror. Strange Tales. Uncanny Tales. Journey into Mystery. The House of Secrets. The House of Mystery. The Phantom Stranger. 
Doctor Thirteen. Doorway to Nightmare. The Witching Hour. Strange Suspense Stories. Worlds of Fear. Chamber of Chills. Terror Tales. The Beyond. Tomb of Terror. Weird War Tales. The Twilight Zone. Creepy. Dark Shadows. Vampirella. The Haunted Tank. The Heap. Eerie. Swamp Thing. Weird Mysteries. Tomb of Dracula. Tales of the Unexpected. Werewolf by Night. The Demon. Man Thing. Monster of Frankenstein. Brother Voodoo. The Son of Satan. Night Force. The Living Mummy. The Sandman. Tomb of Darkness. Evil Ernie. Saga of the Swamp Thing. Flinch. Hellblazer. Thirty Days of Night. Preacher. The Walking Dead. What do these titles have in common? All of them. From Adventures into the Unknown, to Tales from the Crypt, to the House of Mystery, to the Tomb of Dracula, may be found in the Long Box of Darkness. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me every Monday night for a journey into comic book horror as we delve into the secrets of the Long Box of Darkness. So listen if you dare, puny mortals, to the Long Box of Darkness, available on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. Good night, and pleasant screams. <laughs> And again, we're going to cover your comments from episode number five of the Digest cast from, again, back before the sun came out and, and sparked its first spark of the universe, uh, from covering Justice League of America, the – I don't have the DC ribbon number issue, whatever. 31. But, oh, there you go. But it's the one that was about all the initiations, about people's joining the Justice League. Oh, Rob, when you start us off. Great issue. Uh, we got a comment on well, – these are all from fireandwaterpodcast.com, by the way. Uh, we got a comment from David A. Gutierrez, host of Sing Eagle Sing. He says, uh, Bob Oxner is – criminally underrated. True that. That's a true statement. You forgot to mention David's also with the Katana Banana. Um, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. And you, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, this is in, in the spirit of Digest, this is a brief version of feedback. So if you want your feedback right on a future issue, uh, our future episode, the best place, again, is our website, which is what, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep, go over to the Shows tab and find Digest Cab. Or if you want to leave us an iTunes review, which would be very nice of you and would be sincerely appreciated, and Rob will write you a hand-written uh, thank you note. He won't really. <laughs> But uh, you feel free to do that on iTunes. All right, for, heard from our buddy Zoom Yukonori, who's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows uh, like Done in One. <laughs> you know, he came up with his name on purpose just to trip people over. Done in One Wonders. 
podcast wonder show. I think I got it wrong anyway. <laughs> anyway, he also works out for CBR over there on the line it is drawn. And uh, we had asked about when Hawk Girl became Hawk Woman. We couldn't figure that out. And he wrote in, he goes, in, uh, he said, Hawk Girl first insisted that it should be called Hawk Woman because the, quote, connotations of the word girl on Earth do not please her. Uh, it was in World's Finest, uh, issue number 272 from October 1981. And then some schmo named Rob Kelly came on the site and then posted a bunch of inconsistencies from 1984, but that guy's bat crap crazy. So, uh, Also, another thing came up. We kept asking about what that ring was, that paper ring pe- that you love so much. Yeah, the, the, the jail airs are bursting through. Yeah, it's right, like a football game. Bursting through. Robin burst through it in his first appearance. The, you know, we asked what those were called, uh, and, and Zoom said in circus terms, he <laughs> believes the paper-covered hoop is referred to as a balloon, which, by the way, all the feedback is completely inconsistent on that, folks. <laughs> Oh, I love that Ted Kelvington added. He said, based on my internet search, it's most often called a paper-covered hoop. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the info, Ted. <laughs> awesome. Then we heard from uh, Ed. Uh, uh, oh, you know, he told us how to pronounce this a couple episodes ago. And, of course, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. So I, I apologize, Mr. Bosnar. Uh, Edo, Edo. Ed Bosnar. Edo Bosnar. I'm going to go with that. So he writes in to say, another fun show. And wow, what a nice digest. Great theme and a nice selection of stories. And looking over the art samples, I have to say it was nice to be reminded what a fantastic team Dylan and Giordano made. Boy, they really did, didn't they? That is absolutely true. And uh, he just wanted to let us know that he did a brief write-up of the first two Marvel Digests at a website called Atomic Junk Shop, which you can find at, surprisingly, AtomicJunkShop.com. So check that out, folks. Then we heard from buddy Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast and the new DC OCD podcast. And uh, he was talking about these giant paper things. And he says it's called a giant bellless tambourine. So very I, – I, I almost went to Google that. I'm like, really? And then I realized, oh, Paul's making a funny. It's an Australian funny. Get it? It's upside down. <laughs> Paul and KC writes, I don't know where I heard it, but the same story Shag mentioned, Elongated Man was created because they didn't know they could use Plastic Man. Chuck Coletta wrote in to say, uh, great discussion on one of my favorite digests, which I still own. And he says, I'd love to hear you guys talk about Elongated Man's miniseries by Mike Paraback sometime. Lots of fun in that. Um, there is a very good chance I am going to cover that Mike Paraback miniseries on my Justice League International Bwahaha podcast because that was during that era. And it's Mike Paraback and Ty Templeton together. I mean, woof, it is just about the most gorgeous looking thing out there. So I, it, we will probably cover it over there. That's a great, that was a great miniseries. I, I bought every issue, all four of them when it came out. I thought that was terrific. It's too bad they didn't get to go on with that. Uh, related to Paul's comment about you creating Plastic Man and elong- or Elongated Man instead of Plastic Man, Max Romero, which is, of course, member of our own network and hosts its Plasticast, uh, or the Plasticast, I'm sorry, he hosts its Plastic Man, the site, and the, the podcast is, is a Plasticast. He oh, fo- Max, is, Max is just so confusing. Yes. He follows up with, hey, Paul, I mentioned it in passing on the latest episode of Plasticast, see right there, but it's a story that's been floating around for a while. Unfortunately, it might be too good to be true. Supposedly, then-editor, uh, DC editor Julius Schwartz, wanted a character like Plastic Man, not knowing or remembering that DZ had acquired the character, along with the rest of Quality, Com- Quality Comics' stable back in 1956. This led John Broom and Carmen Infantino's Elongated Man making his debut in Flash 112 in 1960. The same legend says that the Atom was created the same way as a substitute for Doll Man. Sadly, all that might be apocryphal. Brian Cronin wrote about it for his comic book Legends Revealed column and concluded while it's possible Schwartz may or may not have known DC owned the rights to Plaz, it probably wouldn't have had any real effect on the creation of Elongated Man one way or the other. 
As fellow Fire and Water Network host Zoom Yukinori pointed out a quote from the life and art of Murphy Anderson from Tomorrow's that may be the origin of the legend. In the interview, Anderson says, I used to razz Julie over two characters that they came up with at DC, not knowing that DC owned those old quality characters, and Julie will deny it, I guess, and say they wanted to do something different, but they came up with Elongated Man instead of Plastic Man, and they came up with the Atom instead of Doll Man. They could have resurrected either of those two characters back then, right there, out of their own stable. Now, I had always heard that story, that they made it up because they, they didn't realize they had the quality characters. But that's interesting to hear, that maybe they just wanted to do something different. <laughs> I like the other story better. Makes a better story. <laughs> Thanks for ruining our illusions, Max. Um, then we Print heard the legend. <laughs> then we heard from our buddy Dr. Ange, who runs the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, and works for the Legion of Superbloggers, and who I recently on Twitter called uh, our extent, part of our extended family. So, uh, Dr. Ange says, great digest, and I'm a sucker for these JLA issues when someone joins or quits, but i especially a fan of the Zatanna issue. This is one of my all-time favorite issues. For some reason, fascinated me as a kid. That's why this Zatanna costume I like, uh, that's why this is the Zatanna costume I like best, and that's why I'm such a fan of the Warlock of Is. Oh, man, you had me, Dr. Ange, right till the end there. And you followed it up with, so sad to hear you besmirch one of my favorite D-listers, the Warlock of Yeez, hashtag Ratron, hashtag Hyathis, hashtag Manhawks. I, was, I agree with the Manhawks, but, you know, just a minute ago, I called him extended family. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe Dr. Ange is the black sheep of our family. That might just be it. I think at the, at the time of the episode, at the, and, and Ange's love of uh, Yeez, I think I suggested that he was hosting a new show for the network called uh, Yeez Infection. I was quite proud of myself. Thank you. Apparently you are again. <laughs> so um, Chris Franklin, of course, a member of our network, hosts JLU cast and Supermates and uh, the recently concluded Superman movie minute with me, of course. Uh, he says one thing about that first story from JLA 75. It was the first unofficial DC Marvel crossover. Notice odd things like the evil green evil green Adam trying to throw grow into a giant man or an evil green Batman throwing a trash can lid like a shield, etc. That was Daniel O'Neill's very subtle, blink-you'll-miss-it approach to making the evil analogs also analogs of the Avengers. Hmm. I, I never noticed any of that. And, of course, Denny had time to work in the Avengers, but not Aquaman in the Justice League. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to get over that. He, he also says, over in Avengers around this time, Roy Thomas took that ball and scored a touchdown with the Squadron Supreme, or the Squadron Sinister at that time, I think. DC and Marvel would later do this again, and we'd get the heroes of Angor in JLA, while the Squadron reappeared in the Avengers. And, of course, Shag, you know all about these characters, having covered them in JLI. Right. I, in fact, I thought the first crossovers, uh, I didn't realize that this JLA one was a crossover. I thought the first crossover was the Heroes of Angor and, Su- and Squadron Supreme and also the Namor and Aquaman. I thought those were the first two crossovers. I did not realize there was this secret one right in here and I read it and didn't even pick up on it. There you go. Uh, Ted Kilvington from Justice Trek also writes in, another fine show. Great seeing Digest get love. This is a haiku. Haikus seem to be all the rage because Adam Ackerman left me a bunch of haikus over on JLI recently, too. <laughs> Heard from our buddy Brian Linton. He wrote in to say, It's a shame that DC has stopped bringing new members into the Justice League since the new 52 began. I know they held one recruitment drive, but I don't think any of the new members remained on the team, but for more than a couple of issues. <clears throat> Firestorm. <clears throat> yes, uh, Firestorm, but this is me. Uh, Firestorm was part of that recruitment drive, and you know, he didn't hang around either. So uh, I guess one could count Mara as a new member of the current league, but I suspect she'll leave once Arthur returns. It would be nice if they both stayed on together. That could become the Hawkman and Hawkwoman of the Rebirth era. 
That's very true, Brian. Now, since we wrote did this episode back in 2012, uh, there have been announcements. There are several more Justice League books coming this summer. I mean, there's going to be like four of them or something like that total, I think. There's a bunch of Justice League books, so they are adding different members to the team, including Darkseid. Yeah, Google that one, folks. Then we heard from our buddy Ryan Daly. Uh, I don't know who this guy is, but apparently he has a show called Nightcast, another one called Power of Fishnets. It, maybe he's on the interweb somewhere. Anyway, he says, naturally, I'd read Justice League of America. I'm sorry. Naturally, I'd read Justice League of America number 75, where Black Canary joins the team years ago in some reprint fashion or another, archive collection or digital. I finally got a floppy copy of the issue last year in Dublin, Ireland, of all places, while vacationing before Christmas. It might be the oldest single comic book issue I have in my collection. Hmm. Very cool. And now... Now it's probably covered in baby vomit. <laughs> oh, that's a nice thought. Uh, Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, including Marvel Superheroes Podcast, says, Due to my personal preferences, I like Gil Kane's homage better than Neil Adams' original cover so much that I can even look Red Tornado. The, cent- <laughs> <laughs> the central grouping of Hawkman, Adam, Green Arrow works a lot better, though. And, of course, I'm sorry Kane traded out John for Kadar. They're both nifty, though. Does anyone else find it odd that the hereby elects trade reaches all the way back to the Green Arrow but skips Adam, Hawkman, and once again, Firestorm? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, was that out loud? Um, yes, Frank, I completely agree. Uh, Frank goes on to say, I usually roll my eyes d- at dismissals of the Tr- Detroit-era league, but admit that changing over an entire league um, – I'm all over the place here, folks. I'm going to start Frank's comment again because I'm not getting this right. So Frank says, I usually roll my eyes at dismissals of the Detroit-era league, but admit that changing over an entire lineup uh, at at once robs the team of its elevated status as a place of rare induction filled with pomp. It also signals instability becoming of its grandeur. The 1990s were worse, though, as both the league and the Avengers opened the doors to every mook that ever got dumped on their porch. When everyone's a leaguer, it isn't special anymore. Apologies to Shag, but the JLI era was especially guilty of dis- demystifying the team, which is why I think it was a great book, but a lousy incarnation of the team. They could have recovered from the Detroit turmoil, but JLI permanently downgraded the league's credibility. Um, I'm not going to say Frank's wrong. Uh, you make some good points there, but I, I think it, it creates a lot more interest. It's sort of like uh, Cap's kooky Avengers. You know, when Cap did the same thing with the Avengers back in the 60s, he dumped the whole team and just brought in four newbies. And that was interesting and different. And the fans seem to accept it. In, in the 90s, you're right, everybody. It was a revolving door. You're bringing in Bloodwind. You're bringing in Deathbird. And, you know, just crazy characters that didn't belong in the Justice League at all. So it did demystify it. But I think Justice League International was so strong that if they had ended that series and gone back to a classic version, I don't think people would have saw it as a downward turn. But the rest of the books, after Giffen and Demetrius left, you know, during all those other years, were pretty god-awful. And they stayed that way for a while. And it took Morrison re-energizing the team with the classic characters to really bring back that grandeur. So I don't necessarily blame the Bwahaha era, but I definitely blame what came after Giffen and Demetrius. Heard from our buddy Sean Ross from the Pulp to Pixel podcast. Now we're concluding the Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which I love. Uh, Sean writes in, fun episode. I love the, that JLI, JLA digest. But I think maybe they left Firestorm out because they were planning on doing a digest for him specifically. <laughs> Rob, whatever crazy pills you take. I'm sorry, Sean. Whatever crazy, crazy pills you're taking, please keep taking them. Because I would have loved a Firestorm Digest, but I seriously doubt that was on the table at any point. Why? Says, uh, keep- Wasn't Firestorm one of their biggest sellers? Why would that have been off the table? Well, let me, let me finish reading because he does right. defend that. He defend, well, he defends that very point. He says, keep in mind how hard the original Firestorm series was to track down. And at that time, people loved Martin Stein and Peter Parker. Whoop, I mean, Ronnie Raymond. Now, I hope you guys will eventually cover the Marvel Power Pack Digest. Those minis were a lot of fun. So, uh, Sean defends exactly what you said. Firestorm was immensely popular and the older issues were hard to find. Um, I, 
I just don't think uh, all it would be would be reprinting old issues of Firestorm. There, I guess they could throw in some DC Comics Presents. Uh, I don't know. What what year did the digest stops? Eighty five. Yeah, like yeah, eighty five, eighty six. Fire, Fury of Firestorm was was running full tilt at that point, and that book was like one of their top two or three sellers. It was only three years old at that point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess they could. They could have. It wouldn't have been very old stuff. But yeah, I guess they could. They have. did. They did two plop digests. They could have done Firestorm. <laughs> But still, that's digging back pretty far. Whereas, all, all, even, even like the new Teen Titans digest they did still picked up a lot of the '60s stuff. So, I don't know if there's enough history there. I, again, I would have loved if it happened. I just don't think it was ever on the books. Okay, all right. I mean, I agree with you. It probably wasn't, but I just I would argue that you know you would think that it was a popular book. It was a very popular book. So why not do it? Why not? You know, I mean, this is still kind of the era of comic shops were still kind of new. So if a back issue. Yep was gone it was gone you know so even if the book was only two years old it was as far as you knew it was gone forever so i mean I, you know you could have reprinted fury firestorm numbers one through six or something anyway no that's true i, I will say though um i can't believe anything, i'm the one making this argument well i was gonna say if anything if, if you want to take a lesson from this folks uh sean ross knows how to write a hell of a comment let's just put it that way there you go. <laughs> uh luke dobb from the creative spirit podcast uh he says fun episode guys the justice league hereby electric creative paperback has been on the shelf at my local half price bookstore for some time now Every time I go, I want to pick it up. Just pick it up, Luke. This is even pushing me even more in that direction. I love these digests so much. Oh, oh, oh. by the way, I want to go back to Sean's comment again because it's so good. Um, I didn't address his last point, which was about us doing some Power Pack digests. If I can talk Rob into it, we would absolutely cover I this Power Pack digest. I you love your Power Pack. I own all the – here's how, here's how stupid I am with my money. Uh, not only did I buy every single issue, individual issue of the Power Pack miniseries, I have the digest as well. I have both because I love them that much, and I made my kids read them. So the Power Pack digests are absolutely a hoot. They're, they're basically like a Marvel team-up between the Power Pack. It's like Power Pack and the Avengers, Power Pack and Thor, Power Pack and Spider-Man, Power Pack and Wolverine. So they're super fun. Anyway, uh, they were from my buddy Martin Gray from the Two Dangerous for Girl blog, and he's a new Digest cast is always a small joy. <laughs> well played, Martin. Well played. Then we heard from Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, who does podcasts like Comics with Normies, and he also has written his own comic book called Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, which is a lot of fun, by the way. Uh, Jared posted a photo of some Digest he got in one of his yard sale buying. He says, excellent Digest score. Great, to, great way to start 2018. $3.80 per book. So Professor Allen won't be thrilled, but uh, Firestorm Van and Digest cast might be. Absolutely we were. And Sean Myers followed it up with a uh, photo of his bookcase full of digest. I mean, just burst into the room with digest. And Sean said, you're well on your way to this. <laughs> oh, Sean, that's a sickness, my friend. But we love it. He also left another comment. They said, I'm flying back home from Disneyland next Saturday, and this will be the perfect podcast listening to help fill the time. Thanks. Thank you, Sean. And by the way, I should mention, uh, <laughs> Sean will be making an appearance on the Film and Water podcast in just like a week or two after this episode drops. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Sean, I'm sorry you had to wait five months for the next digest cast. <laughs> so hopefully if you're going back to Disneyland, you got something else. To he listen. probably did. He's been there a lot, so I think he probably didn't make it. He probably went there again in, in the time it took to put this episode. <laughs> they were from Craig McD, and he says, My favorite Blue Ribbon Digest is number 67, and that's the issue featuring Legion and Starfinger. Starfinger. <laughs> I, I have to do it every time. There's a law. There's a law. So that's going to do it for our feedback, folks. Again, hit our website. Uh, we'll even. Uh, you know, we'll probably post just the covers or something from these particular digests we did. Rob, what's the what's that website? Fire and Water. What's that website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. You have one job, sir. Do it. Just do it with pride. It's just funny the way you say it. That website, like you don't know what it is. 
I, I don't know. I, do, I have no idea where to go. That's why I have to ask you every episode. So go up there to the show tab because Rob can't finish the thought. Go to the show tab and look for Digest Cast, and you'll find them there, folks. And then next episode, we will be back with one of our uh, coverage of a classic Digest. And it's my pick this time. I've already told you guys what it is. It's Best of Blue Ribbon Digest number 71, Year's Best Comic Stories of 1985. And, folks, this thing's awesome. I mean, we're talking about uh, Superman, Batman, the, several Green Lanterns, Adam Strange, Swamp Thing, Blue Devil, Katana, Ambush Bug, Atari Force, and the Omega Men. But, uh, you know, three Alan Moore stories, Mike W. Barr, Mike Barron, Keith Giffen, Doug Mensch, Carrie Bates, so Kurt Swan, Gene Colan, Stephen Bissett, Marshall Rogers, Dave Gibbons, Kevin O'Neill, Carl Kiesel, Bob, the, the much underrated Bob Oxner, Klaus Jansen, Jerome K. Moore. Just amazing. It's like, you know, it's a star-studded lineup for the last Digest DC ever printed. So it's, so sad. So definitely come back next episode to check this out, folks. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell folks uh, where they can um, – well, you know, do, why don't you tell them anyway? Tell them where they can leave their feedback anyway. Uh, they can go to that website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And, of course, you can leave a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. We are working on a contest. Uh, we're not saying exactly what the contest is just yet, or we're not exactly sure what the rules are. But it might have something to do with leaving feedback. So I would suggest leaving feedback. And the prize might have something to do with Rob doing your dishes for a year. Maybe. Maybe. I'm just saying maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I am also, volunteering to be your houseboy, kind of like Hank Azaria in The Birdcage. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I think there's a, uh, there's a Twitter handle, maybe? Yes. You can go to, <laughs> yes. There is the, on that Twitter thing. You can go to <laughs> DigestCast uh, on Twitter. And uh, I don't update it as much as I should. Martin Gray is the one who's always on there pestering us to put a new episode out. But, uh, but yeah, we do talk about Digest and stuff over there. So DigestCast on Twitter. And don't worry, folks. You don't have to communicate with me on that. You'll just be communicating with Rob because he won't give me the password. So don't worry. (laughs) Folks, that's going to do it for this episode. But always remember, big things come in small packages. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the boom.